welcome, welcome to Maximus Colin Radio Show, episode 40. Uh, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, I am the CEO of MaximusTribe.com. We're a consumer telemedicine company that focuses on health and hormone optimization. And as part of our company, we love to spread information about health optimization on social media. So thank you for everyone who's joining us on Clubhouse, on Discord, Instagram Live, Twitter, Twitch, and the many other pro, uh, platforms that we use out there. Um, we host this radio show every Thursday at six o'clock Pacific time in order to take questions from the audience. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and psychiatry professor. So my whole focus is on men's health and performance optimization. And I answer any and all questions about um, whether it's hormone optimization or just health behaviors, including diet, exercise, sleep, focus, relationships. So uh, I'll take any and all questions in those uh, areas or categories that may be interesting to you. We always kick off the show with a weekly unpopular opinion, uh, just to share a little bit of scientific evidence. And then we take calls from the room. So uh, this week's unpopular opinion is hate on sunscreen and vitamin D supplementation. Uh, don't uh, uh, understand cost benefit and don't appreciate aging. So let me tell you about why uh, vitamin D is so um, important and the benefits of uh, both sunlight and sunscreen. So vitamin D is actually a misnomer. It should be called hormone D because it's actually a hormone. It's a fat soluble hormone, uh, which means it accumulates in your system. Uh, unlike water soluble vitamins, uh, like the B vitamins, for instance, which when you take in excess, you just urinate it out. But, but vitamin D accumulates and it's usually gotten from two sources, which is from sunlight, uh, in which your skin uh, converts it into uh, usable forms of vitamin D and from food, uh, for example, like fatty fish. Now, the problem in modern society is uh, almost everyone is vitamin D deficient because we don't spend as much time outdoors as we used to, because uh, we're obviously a very indoor dwelling uh, uh, species these days. And it's almost guaranteed, in fact, that you have a vitamin D deficiency if you live above the San Francisco, Washington, D.C., and Athens latitude. So you're basically, if you're living uh, kind of high up there in the northern hemisphere, it's almost impossible to get enough vitamin D from the sun. And even if you're living in a sunny place like L.A., um, unless you're purposely getting a lot of sun exposure, especially midday and um, across your body, you're actually probably not getting enough vitamin D. I actually did a self-experiment on this myself. I, I think I take um, 2,000 IUs of vitamin D uh, in my multivitamin, but I wasn't taking any extra supplements. And recently, I just like haven't been going out because I've been super busy with work and getting a lot of sunlight. I actually tested my vitamin D levels, and they were at, I believe, uh, 28 nanograms per deciliter. And generally, above 30 is considered optimal. And I'm pretty active and outdoors, but it just goes to show it's very easy to be vitamin D deficient these days. And in fact, we've tested a lot of the, the patients in our population and basically almost everyone is vitamin D deficient in terms of being below 30. So what's the solution to that? The ideal solution to that is obviously getting more sunlight. So if you have the opportunity midday, especially or around what's called solar noon, there's an app you can use called D Minder as in vitamin D reminder that based on the time and your uh, geographic location, it basically tells you how much time to spend in the sun and how many units of vitamin D that you're getting. It's actually very handy and it also prevents you from overdoing it and obviously getting sunburn. So the rule of thumb though with the sun is um, you obviously never ever want to burn. When you get a sunburn, you're basically increasing your risk of skin cancer. And so the challenge for people is if you're particularly fair skin, you're lacking a lot of melanin, you burn very easily. And obviously if you're in a place that's um, you know, closer to the equator and it's closer to midday, it's very easy to, you know, after 15 minutes or so, burn. So you have to be very mindful um, if you're trying to get your vitamin D from the sun and, and do it just kind of the Goldilocks zone in terms of not overdoing it. Um, so that's one issue. Um, the, the challenge though, and this is what people sort of don't appreciate, is there's a lot of people who hate on sunscreen. And they say, sunscreen is poison. I actually saw this on Twitter today. And they're right to some extent in that some of the more artificial sunscreens may contain chemicals that may be carcinogenic or cancer-causing. We don't really know, but it's risky. Um, the problem is you have to think about it as a cost-benefit trade-off in the sense that the sun itself is cancer-causing. We know that excess 
uh, sun exposure, um, and particularly sunburns and moles that kind of grow carcinogenic are cancer causing. So it's, the question is what's worse, the cancer that comes from excess sun or the cancer that may come from sunscreen? And uh, so the way that I sort of balance these things is I actually do recommend that people don't be sort of sun phobic, right? If you're not burning and let's say you've either built up enough of a base tan or you're using physical protection in the form of hats and clothing, um, or um, you know, you've, um, you're using sunscreen to ameliorate the damage, it's reasonable and you should spend enough time in the sun to get sort of vitamin D. However, the one thing that these kind of haters, I would say, don't appreciate is that human beings never generally uh, you know, uh, lived to as long as um, we do nowadays. And so um, the purpose of sunscreen, in my opinion, is really cosmetic in the sense that I actually recommend everyone put sunscreen on their face and their neck because that's the area that's obviously visible um, and uh, develops wrinkles. And so there's clear evidence from, for instance, truck drivers who don't wear sunscreen, like the left side of their face is all wrinkly and the right side is not because that's the side that's facing the window or the sun. So it's almost like a perfect case controlled AB trial that shows clearly that sun exposure accelerates the aging of the skin and wrinkles. And so the reason you should use sunscreen is if you don't want to look old and you care about that, maybe you don't care about that and you're a guy and you're like, I like my Clint Eastwood forehead wrinkles. And if that's the case, God bless you. But I think most, both men and women care very much about their appearances and preventing premature aging. And so you really should on a daily basis, put sunscreen on your head and neck. Now I do recommend less artificial forms of sunscreen. There are more natural sunscreens, so to speak, that use what are called physical sunscreens. So zinc, which is a natural uh, elements and minerals it's generally good for you um, as long as it's not nanoparticle size and doesn't sort of absorb deeply into the skin um, is a good physical blocker now the challenge with zinc is it, it if, if you remember from like the 80s it leaves like a white overcast on your skin and so there's either mineral tinted versions of it that can be blended in and look beige if you're a woman or they can add other chemicals that help it sort of disperse and it doesn't get, leave that white tint that you're sort of familiar with so is that great? Not really, but um, it, you can't just have a pure zinc sunscreen. If you try to make your own at home, it's gonna leave white streaks all over your face. And so I think it's a reasonable cost benefit trade-off to say, hey, look, in order to prevent premature aging, I'm gonna expose myself to a little bit of chemicals, but I, I believe that the exposure to some chemicals, a little bit on your face is still worth the clear benefit in terms of preventing premature aging. Now on the rest of your body, if you have enough melanin that you're not gonna burn very easily and you slowly over time start to accumulate enough sun exposure so that you develop a tan, which is essentially the body's natural defense against sunburn, you can start to go out more and more shirtless essentially if you're a guy or you know, uh, you know, appropriately clothed if you're a woman um, and still get a, a good amount of exposure on your body. So the, the D-Minder app that I mentioned for instance it actually will ask you what percentage of your body is exposed. So if it, for instance, if you're a guy and you're just wearing shorts and you're going out, it's considered about 70% of your skin area is exposed. And so it'll calculate that in terms of figuring out how much vitamin D that you're exposed to. So like I said, uh, it, you should get vitamin D from the sun. You should try to get it through your skin, except for your, your head and neck, uh, which should be uh, covered in sunscreen in order to prevent premature skin aging. But you can get it through obviously your torso Second, you can get it obviously through food. So if you're eating fatty fish, it's a great source. But um, most people are not gonna spend enough time in the sun uh, in order to do that. And so for most people, vitamin D supplementation is effective. It's, I think it's very useful for people to check their vitamin D levels and see if they are quite frankly deficient. Maybe you're one of the rare exceptional people, your levels are naturally hovering between 40 and 50, you're optimal, you might not need it. But for most people, you know, around 5,000 IUs, check with obviously your uh, primary care physician, this is not medical advice, but usually five to 10,000 IUs is considered safe and will put people into the normal range of vitamin D. And so supplementing that um, in addition to the sun exposure and the food exposure that you're getting will help the majority of people get enough vitamin D without burning their skin to a crisp. And so that's the cost benefit that I actually recommend for most folks. There is, and so some people might ask, well, why don't I just get it purely from supplements? Why do I need to spend any time in the sun? And the reason for that is there are um, benefits to sun exposure that go beyond 
just vitamin D. So the first uh, example of that is actually um, sun exposure improves and lowers your blood pressure. It increases nitric oxide synthesis in the skin, and that's a uh, mechanism that's completely separate from vitamin D. So if you take the vitamin D pills, it's not going to lower your blood pressure. But if you get sun exposure, it will lower your blood pressure, and that's obviously beneficial for most people. The other important benefit is that it, it sets your circadian rhythm. So I encourage most folks, in, first, in fact, first thing in the morning when you get up is go to a window or go walk outside for 10 minutes without using sunglasses and get sunlight into your eyes. It resets your circadian rhythm and makes sure that you're not getting dysregulated sleep. A lot of people, because of their wonky sun exposure, have a dysregulated circadian rhythm and that's why you have so much trouble sleeping at night. And so getting that early morning sun exposure and ideally, as I mentioned, that kind of mid-afternoon sun exposure to get enough vitamin D, that combination really help, helps set people's rhythm, lower blood pressure, and also improves mood. So we do know that from folks from who have like seasonal affective disorder, they live in places where in the wintertime they're not getting enough sunlight and vitamin D, it's also particularly beneficial to get sun exposure. So to just wrap up and summarize, weekly unpopular opinion, don't listen to the haters who are uh, hate on sunscreen and hate on vitamin D supplementation. Yes, in a perfect world, we live outside and just eat fish all day, but most people, that's not true. And so what I recommend is put sunscreen on your head and neck. Uh, do spend some time outside in the morning and the afternoon in order to get some sun exposure, uh, some natural vitamin D production, and also some benefits such as mood and blood pressure lowering. And in addition to that, talk to your doctor about potentially supplementing between 5,000 and 10,000 IUs of vitamin D3, uh, which will help get you to optimal levels that are usually between 30 and 60 nanograms per deciliter, I believe is the units. And you should ideally do blood testing to make sure that your before and after are in a good range. Now, if you do that, we know that um, uh, sufficient vitamin D is important for testosterone. If you're vitamin D deficient as a guy in particular, your testosterone is almost certainly not going to be optimal. And as I mentioned, almost most guys are vitamin D deficient. So you're really shooting yourself in the foot in terms of having lower testosterone than you should be just because you're not getting enough vitamin D. It's a very easy fix to make sure that through supplementation and a little bit of sunlight that you're gonna get optimal vitamin D levels. And because vitamin D is a hormone in and of itself, it helps support the synthesis of other hormones uh, including testosterone, which is obviously really important for masculine health. So hopefully that's a helpful, um, uh, unpopular opinion and provides a little bit of scientific clarification on the importance of vitamin D, how to get it, and why it's important for testosterone. So with that, I'm going to open it up to the audience. Uh, raise your hand if you have any um, questions, and we'll put you up on the platform and you can ask me anything. Hey, Cam, can I post a question? Yes, sir. Yeah, please do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to hear about the importance of zinc uh, and magnesium and daily intake because me, I eat meat, but I don't eat red meat much. So um, what do you prefer on the timings of taking in supplements or what supplements would help? Yeah, opinion. great question. Why don't you eat red meat? But still, I don't know. Since my childhood, uh, not habituated to it. I mean, I don't eat beef to be particular. Yeah. Sometimes I do eat lamb and goat, but I don't know if they're efficient or not. Yeah, great point. I mean, look, uh, there's there's people for you know personal or religious other reasons they don't eat red meat. Um, I respect people's individual choices, but I will tell you strictly from a health perspective, red meat is healthy. Contrary to this is another unpopular opinion. People have unfortunately been brainwashed into thinking that red meat is unhealthy. The problem is a lot of that is based on um, epidemiological studies, and that's just a fancy word for basically they they survey a bunch of people and they say, hey. How, do you do you eat red meat? How much red meat do you eat? And they look at how much cancer, for instance, they have, um, and they find a correlation. The problem, of course, with that is what kind of red meat are you eating? Are you eating a bunch of hot dogs and like overcooked hamburgers that are charred? Yeah, those because they're processed and they're charred. Those two things are associated with um, cancer. Um, but if you're eating like clean, uh, especially grass-fed red meat, um, there's no randomized controlled trial that I know of that shows any association between 
red meat and cancer. And in fact, we know from traditional ancestral diets, you know, human beings essentially evolved on eating large mammals, uh, elephants, like woolly mammoths, bison, uh, the things that are very like cow-like, so to speak. So it, it's it's quite um, uh, possibly essentially our, our, our most natural food source uh, is essentially red meat. So I actually encourage people to eat red meat from a health reason. Um, it is very high um, in some of the things that you talked about, like uh, the, the minerals, magnesium, potassium, uh, calcium, if you're including like eating like bone broth and things like that, that come from, uh, cows and red meat. So, uh, that's a little bit of an aside, but to your, to your question about magnesium, magnesium, this is just kind of like analogous to the vitamin D question. It's my recommendation is to always try to get, you know, your macros and your micros, your micros being your micronutrients, vitamins, minerals from food first and foremost. So if you're eating a, uh, whole food, unprocessed, mostly animal-based diet, which is actually the recommendation. Ignore all the, the idiots who promote plant-based diets. It's not the natural or ancestral diet and is less nutritionally dense actually than meat. Um, you should be getting enough magnesium, potassium, calcium, and we, we obviously have tons of salt in our food. So you're getting tons of sodium as well. That being said, because most people do not eat a relatively unprocessed and balanced diet, they're not getting enough, particularly potassium and magnesium. So just as I said, the most people have a vitamin D deficiency because they spend most of their time indoors these days. Most people, especially Americans, are also magnesium deficient because they eat 66% of their calories from ultra processed foods. So that being said, given that's the case, and if your doctor thinks it's appropriate, magnesium supplementation is a good idea for most people. Um, generally, I would say on the order of 200 to about 400 milligrams of um, magnesium um, is within generally the recommended dietary intake, might be a little bit more or less for men or women, but that's usually the range that you see recommended. Um, so I, I do think for most people, again, consult with your doctor that, that that dosage is very effective. Now, when I say 200 to 400 milligrams of magnesium, I'm talking about elemental magnesium. So what does that mean? Magnesium, like most minerals, needs to be bonded to something else to make it absorbable. So when you look at the back of the nutritional supplements, you'll see that there's cheap forms like magnesium oxide, and that's not very bioavailable, doesn't get easily absorbed by the body. Cheap uh, sort of vitamins that you'll see, especially in like, uh, I don't know, CVS or Walgreens pharmacies, will have that kind. That's not the kind that you want to take. You want to take a bioavailable form that you know is absorbable in your body. My particular favorite form is a form called magnesium taurate. It's basically magnesium that's bonded to taurine. And taurine is an essential amino acid. It is very helpful for reducing stress, anxiety, also has some anti-aging properties. Um, and if you are familiar with obviously Taurus, right? If you're a Taurus in your zodiac sign or the bull, it's commonly found in red meat as we were talking about. But of course, because if you're not eating a lot of red meat, you're not getting enough taurine. And so taurine supplementation uh, is also helpful. So you're basically killing two birds with one stone. You're getting more bang for your buck by taking magnesium taurate. Um, so that's the form. That's, that's the kind that I like. There's a product on Amazon that sells it in powder form. It's like raspberry flavored. You just throw a scoop in a, 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 cup, a cup of water or half a cup of water if you urinate a lot at night. And I recommend taking it right before bed. The reason is both magnesium and taurine have anti-anxiety or anti-stress properties. And so a lot of us who have trouble calming our minds down, especially in order to fall asleep at night, tremendously benefit from taking magnesium before bed. So um, magnesium taurate is a great form. The other form, if you're just trying to get like most bang for your buck as cheap as possible, is magnesium glycine. It's more it's uh, more readily available. There's a lot of different companies. Uh, Doctor's Best is a brand that's an example of that, that sell it. Um, it's usually two capsules that you take. It provides 200 milligrams of elemental magnesium, um, and it's readily, it's, it's pretty bioavailable. You wanna be careful about the form of magnesium that you take. For instance, there's other forms like magnesium citrate. The problem with those is that they're laxative. So if you take too much, it will flush you out. Now, if that's your goal, that's great, but I think most people are just trying to get it to calm down or go to bed. And so, yeah, you obviously don't want to take a form that's going to give you the runs.
but magnesium gly uh, 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 glycinate, I believe it is, which has glycine. Glycine, like taurine, as another amino acid, it's also calming. About three grams of glycine before you go to bed also improves sleep quality and research. So those are my sort of two favorite forms. I take the gly glycinate form if you're just looking for lowest cost. I would take the taurate form if you're looking for the one that's going to be best for stress and anxiety. It has better absorption in the brain in order to have that neurological effect that you're looking for. So um, that's great. I see someone on, on YouTube talking about, I use Thorne to purchase supplements, cleanest stuff out there. I agree. The brand of your supplements matter a lot. Um, supplements are totally unregulated. So when I say 200 milligrams of elemental magnesium, it could say 200 on the label. You have no idea if you're actually getting that. So you do want to buy it from trusted manufacturers. A couple of them that are good. Thorne, I think, is one of the best. It's definitely more expensive, but you, at least you know that what you're getting is legit. Um, anyone that sells to doctors is a good uh, a one. So Pure Encapsulations is a good example of another brand. Designs for Health uh, is another one that sells to doctors and doctors will kind of like resell it essentially to their patients is another good brand. Uh, doctors Best, as I mentioned, uh, Jaro, Life Extension, and Now, I would say, are you know reputable brands have been around for a long time, generally like high purity kind of stuff. So... Uh, I think those are those are uh, useful brands. Um, hopefully that was helpful in terms of magnesium supplementation. Um, I see Q, you're on there on the clubhouse. Let me know if you want to chime in and ask a question. I do, Dr. Cam, I do. Uh, can I ask now? Or yeah, absolutely. Are you speaking? Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for having me on stage. So I, I listened to you on, on the vitamin D for men mostly. And I recently actually started to uh, take in vitamin um, D3. It's a uh, 1,000 uh, IU unit. So yep. I guess my question to you is, now I've always been very healthy all my life. And mm -hmm. as I'm getting older, you know, the energy level is kind of going down a little bit. I can feel it, right? So, But I don't like that, right? So I stay right. active um, and I'm trying to fight that all the time. Now, I recently... Um, like I said, I was never, I have never been a vitamin guy, right? I've never done any supplements. I always ate with my mama cook, okay? Yeah. So now I'm taking this vitamin, first time in my life. And my question to you is, is there, um, can I mix with this other vitamins? For example, I'm also thinking about taking B12. And somebody mentioned that I should be looking into the whole fish oil, you know, for the Alaskan salmon right. from, from Costco. <laughs> So, uh, so can I mix all these three vitamins? Uh, can I take all? Uh, and how is the relationships? Is there is it is it is it uh, uh, is there any um, uh, disadvantage? I guess what I'm asking. Yeah. So let, let, great you. questions. Um, so you had a couple questions. So first of all, um, the um, this is why I recommend people actually do vitamin D testing to know what your levels are. And when you take a supplement, you obviously want to know whether it's working and, and, and you're getting the right dosage. I can almost assure you that your 1000 IUs of vitamin D are probably worthless. It's not enough for most people to get them to where they need to be because most people are so deficient, right? So if your levels are sitting around, I don't know, 10 to 20, if you want to get to like 30 to 60, like I said, you're going to probably need to take about five to, to up to 10,000 IUs. Now, the exact amount depends on your body, how much getting your food, how much sun exposure you're getting. That's why you can't recommend a particular dose for everyone. I would say for most people, I give a range. That's why I give five to 10,000. So like I said, you may want to talk to your doctor. You may want to get a vitamin D test and then, and then figure out what the right dosage for you. But I can almost guess that it's much more than... 1,000 IUs. Like I said, I was actually taking 2,000 IUs during my experiment and I was still deficient, right? So that's why I generally recommend higher doses of vitamin D. So that's that's to answer question number one. Question number two, energy, um, no, energy is the number one problem I actually find that guys have these days and there's no easy or quick fix for it because, you know, as a clinician, your first question when someone comes to me and says, I have an energy problem, I would really want to do a comprehensive like intake or assessment to figure out like what's going on in your life, how is your sleep, uh, you know, how are you eating, uh, when are you having an energy kind of crash. So you really have to kind of get to the root cause of things, and that's why you know to your point, I'm not really a vitamin guy, as you said. Look, there, there's quick fixes to some of this stuff, 
um, that may be somewhat helpful, but also understanding the root cause is really critical. So vitamin B12, as you mentioned, um, we have found clinically that um, like our one of our advisors, he, he, he always says like, I don't let anyone leave my clinic without taking vitamin D and B, a B complex. So a good B complex can be very helpful for energy. One of the brands that I mentioned in particular, Life Extension, has a good B complex that I recommend. It's literally, I think like $9.99, pretty cheap to take. Again, consult with your doctor and make sure that that's not contraindicated with any you know medications or treatments um, to make sure it's right for you. But a lot of people um, do find that to be particularly helpful. So that's the quick fix, I would say. But I would say the longer term fix is, let's figure out why you're lagging in energy in the first place. Is it because you're vitamin B deficient? Or if you're still tired after taking some vitamin B complex, is it because you really you need to fix your sleep, you have, you're too sedentary, um, and you need to be walking throughout the day? Um, maybe you're, you're energy deficient because you have a mild sort of depression or anhedonia that may be causing it. So I would really, like if you're, if you're continuing to have problems with energy deficiency and the vitamins don't help, really I would consider talking with your physician and or maybe a health psychologist and kind of figure that out because energy is, is almost like a, it's a symptom, right? Uh, but it can be a symptom of many different things and you kind of have to figure out the root cause of it. Now, the third part of your question was about fish oil. Um, fish oil and particularly the omega-3 fatty acids you may have heard of, there's two in particular that are important, EPA and DHA. Um, they're really essential for brain function. This is why I'm so against plant-based diets. You cannot get uh, EPA and DHA from plants. They have to come from animals. And even though there are plants like flax or flaxseed, which have something called alpha-linoleic acid or ALA, it converts very poorly into omega-3s. It's a very inefficient process. And so uh, a colleague of mine, um, Dr. Eads, uh, wrote a great article on Psychology Today called Your Brain Needs Animal Fat. You need to eat animal fat in order to have optimal brain function. And so I actually recommend to, to people um, in terms of getting their omega-3s is to eat fatty fish. Now, if you have an allergy to fish or you absolutely hate eating fish, sure, uh, you may want to take a, a vitamin and omega-3 supplement. The problem with omega-3 supplements is when Consumer Reports or these other testing agencies like Labdor test them, almost all of them are oxidized, meaning that they're essentially going rancid. That's why a lot of them add lemon oil and a bunch of other things to kind of hide, hide the rancid smell. When you open up a bottle and it smells super fishy or it doesn't smell very good, it's a, it's a sign of oxidation and ran, rancidness. There are some good forms of vitamin D that are out there, but unless you are, I would recommend only buying a vitamin D supplement in which they're giving you the batch number, right? They're like, this batch was produced on this date and you can go look it up um, and it's been tested essentially for purity and for oxidation. There's very few companies that essentially do that. One of the companies that does that is Nootropics Depot. They sell various forms of vitamin D. Um, Omega-3s, oh, omega sorry, yeah. Um, and so you, you really want to be picky if you're, if you're taking an omega-3 kind of a fish oil supplement, because like I would say 80, 90% of the stuff out there is rancid and probably causes more problems. It's very different than the prescription form. There's actually a prescription form of vitamin D and that's ultra pharmaceutically pure. It doesn't have the same, um, sorry, the omega-3s, um, it doesn't have the same rancidity issues. So as a result of that, I generally recommend people just try to get their, um, omega-3s from fish, uh, sardines and other fatty fish are really great sources of omega-3s. I believe a can of sardines has almost 19, 20 grams of protein, great protein source, but it usually contains uh, about two grams of omega-3s. Um, and they're a very helpful source, pretty cheap. Don't even need any cooking. You throw it in a backpack, eat it at work for lunch. I actually have one every day for lunch. Um, and so that's the best way of getting your omega-3s. So hopefully that's helpful in terms of addressing your vitamin D, your vitamin Bs, and your omega-3s, all, all rhymes. Thank you so much. Hey, uh, if, if you allow me, can I just do a follow-up question here? Sure. Um, can you be overdosed on this uh, vitamin D? Like, can I? Yes. You, you, you mentioned, okay, you can. Okay. You can, but it's hard. That's why the recommended, uh, the upper tolerable limit for vitamin D, at least in the United States, is 10,000 IUs. So as long as you're staying below 10,000 IUs, you're not 
Um, to your question about, about, about like, can I take three supplements together? Yes, but just check the labels and make sure that you're not accidentally sneaking in more than you should. So for instance, the, the two common ways that you can accidentally take too much is multivitamins often have vitamin D in them already. So if you're taking that on top of vitamin D supplement, just be mindful and add them up, right? Now, multivitamins typically have low amounts, like, like 1,000 IU. So if you're taking 1,000 plus a 5,000 IU, um, you know, uh, 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 like singular supplement, you're it's 6,000 obviously total and you're probably not going to overdo it. Now, if you're taking a multi that has 2,000 and then you're taking a 10,000 single supplement, then now it's added up to 12,000 and you may be pushing it, right? Now, it's and even 12,000 is probably not going to really, uh, 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 result in actual like toxicity, but it may push your levels up to levels where it may not be optimal for your calcium absorption. And so generally, you always want to take a vitamin D3 with another vitamin called vitamin K2 that prevents that calcium issue. There are really good supplements like Thorn and uh, Now both sell kind of joint supplements where it's a vitamin D3 K2 supplement. My particular favorite form of K2 is one called MK4, which is the animal-based, not the plant-based version, um, which is like MK7 that comes in uh, like natto or Japanese kind of um, foods. Um, so uh, that's, that's sort of the preferred form um, that I have. Um, so yeah, just be mindful of that. The people who take, um, who actually uh, achieve like overdoses on vitamin D are taking like huge amounts, like usually like 50 to 100,000 uh, I use per day. Um, so it's usually an accidental overdose, but again, that's why testing your levels is, is helpful. Um, I would say as long as you're keeping under a hundred nanograms per deciliter, um, you're probably not going to overdose. Um, even though the recommended range is 30 to 60, there's a pretty wide limit to the actual toxicity that's happening. So it's pretty rare that someone, um, if there's long as they're taking reasonable recommended doses that they actually overdose. So is it possible? Yes, but it's pretty rare if you are, you know, mindful of what you're doing. Um, someone mentioned Athletic Greens sells the K2D3 drops. That's true, but I don't know if Athletic Greens honestly is good quality stuff um, in terms of it being tested. So I would probably rather stick to Thorn or a, a higher quality kind of brand. Uh, doctor, I would like to know how can I choose the the big vitamins company because when I go to the CVS or Costco, and I'm really confused. What is the best uh, vitamin? Because a lot of price, a lot of brands. This yeah, um, uh, CVS and Walgreens generally don't have good brands. I hate to, uh, you know, the, 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 it's unfortunate, but most, most, at least from my experience, most of the ones I would not to say all of them are bad. There maybe I haven't been vitamin shopping, but I don't, I don't generally recommend buying it from a CVS or Walgreens. Um, Costco does tend to carry better stuff, but it can be honestly hit or miss. The brands that I that I mentioned are the ones that I particularly like. Uh, I think, like I said, all the ones that sell directly to doctors, that's um, Thorn, Pure Encapsulations, Douglas Labs, Designs for Health. Uh, there may be a few more, but those are the, like, the top tier ones. Second tier ones are ones that sell directly to consumers but have been around for decades. Those are like Doctors Best, Jaro, Life Extension. I'd put those in like a similar category. And then there's a whole bunch of other ones that are like hit or miss. Um, so that's kind of what I recommend uh, in terms of brands that are trustworthy. So just, I, I recommend buying it online, doing a little bit of research um, and going that way. Yeah, hi Dr. Cameron. I just had a question. Uh, like you said, magnesium torate is the best form. What about magnesium orotate? And yeah. my second question is uh, about the vitamin B12. Uh, it's 1500 micrograms per day uh, enough and thirdly uh, the vitamin d supplement 60,000 iu per week for about 8 to 12 weeks is it okay so there are three things which i wanted to ask yeah great question so um you, the doctor good doctor is asking about a particular form of magnesium called um, magnesium orotate um in that case the magnesium is bonded to something called i bet it's, i believe it's erotic acid um it's, it's, so this is the problem that I have with some of the other rare or kind of exotic forms of magnesium. Um, there's another one that's really popular besides magnesium taurate. It also starts with a T and I can't 
remember the name of it off the top of my head. Um, um, I think it's called Magteen is the brand name. I'll actually look it up in a second. The, the problem with um, those is that it's, it's bonded to something that is not generally like needed in the body. Um, oh, okay, magnesium L3-inate. So magnesium L3-inate um, is a patented form of magnesium and it's good at crossing the blood-brain barrier. There's actually studies that show that it may be helpful for Alzheimer's, um, but it's, it reminds me of magnesium orotate um, in that, um, you know, or, uh, the, the, the compound erotic acid is not something that ever, someone ever takes as a supplement. We don't really know if uh, erotic acid um, is really necessary and, and, and if you can sort of like take excess amounts of it. Um, I actually looked into this because I, I used to produce um, a ketogenic meal replacement. It's called uh, Actualize. You can, you can go on the website. It's goactualize.com. Um, and I think we looked into using magnesium orotate, but I thought, you know, uh, we don't really know if our erotic acid is, is really like helpful um, or necessary versus like glycine and taurine are naturally occurring amino acids that you get in high quantities in food. So I think from a, like a long-term safety perspective, if you're taking magnesium every single day, I think it's a little safer personally from like a cost-benefit analysis to take uh, glycine or taurine because you're not going to overdose on those things. You can take multi-gram quantities and it's fine. We don't really know with um, you know, erotic acid or L3 and 8, um, you know, if, if it's really like beneficial or, or helpful long-term. So that's, that's number one. Number two, you, you asked about sort of, um, vitamin B12. So the B vitamins, as I mentioned, are water soluble. The funky things about these, if you look at the B complexes that I mentioned, they have doses that are way above the RDI, right? It's like a thousand or, or 12,000, you know, uh, percent of the recommended, daily intake. And so um, because they're water soluble though, in, ter in terms of when you're taking extra amounts of it, you just urinate it out. Um, so my understanding at least is that it's relatively safe in terms of taking higher dosages of it. Um, but I don't know, people like to take higher dosages because if they're trying to get that energy boost, I guess you feel it more in terms of just maxing out the, about the, the serum absorption of the vitamin B. Um, now the third question you had, I believe was around sort of taking 60,000 IUs of vitamin D per week, right? So you're, you're talking about a weekly dosage. Um, I usually kind of think about it in terms of a daily dosage. So if you just do the math and divide 60,000 by seven days, that averages out to 8571, um, IUs of vitamin D and that's within the five to 10,000 that I recommend. So Sounds like a reasonable dose to me, but like I said, just test your levels or test your patient's levels and see if uh, that gets them to the, the level that you or your patients want. But it sounds reasonable to me. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, so one thing, uh, because magnesium torate is very expensive, you know, so I think magnesium glycine yeah. would be a better option. Yeah, from a cost-benefit perspective, absolutely. I agree. Uh, I think it's like, are you an optimizer or are you a satisficer in life if you're if you're a satisfier, you just like you recommend it, and it's also much more easily available. I, I do I recommend both. Um, I, I tend to work with clientele who want the best, and so I recommend taurine. I also recommend, in particular, like I said, if you if if the goal is to just get enough magnesium, magnesium glycinate is good enough. If the goal is to reduce stress and anxiety, I think taurine is a little bit better because taurine has a little bit more anxiolytic properties than I would say glycine does. Um, but they're both effective and they both actually help for sleep. So I don't think you can really go wrong either way. So much. Absolutely. Hi, Dr. Ken. Hi there. Um, before I uh, go to this question, um, are you quite familiar with, I mean, are you quite comfortable to discuss about uh, intermittent fasting? Um, uh, sure. I can talk about it a little bit. I wouldn't say I'm an expert on it, but go ahead. Yeah. So, um, okay. I've gone through, um, uh, they recommended by my friends, so I've been reduced uh, from my original weight, which is 95, and now goes down to an 88. So, but now the current situation is that my de my development has been plateaued. So, if you ask me about my intake uh, at the moment, sorry, before that, um, right now I'm going through 24 hours of IF. Mm -hmm. And 
my my intake is about 593 kcal so right what's your, what's your uh, goal with the intermittent fasting though what are you what are you trying to achieve i want to reduce down to 74 kg so you're doing it for weight loss correct yeah so here's the thing um Intermittent fasting can be quite helpful for people for various reasons. I actually recommend that um, you check out the podcast that I did with Dave Asprey, who, who's really the, the expert on it, I would say. He actually just wrote a book called Fast This Way that talks about the science and the practice of intermittent fasting. He talks about it on the podcast episode, but if you want a deep dive, I actually recommend it. So that's a very helpful resource, um, I would say. Um, the second is um, there's actually a fasting app called Zero, um, which is produced by a colleague of mine, Mike Mazur. Um, it's very useful for tracking the intermittent fasting. So from a behavioral compliance perspective, I think it can be very helpful. Now, the third thing, though, is I think intermittent fasting is actually overrated for weight loss. And there, here's, here's why. Um, it's essentially a hack, if you will, in the sense that Ultimately, even though a cal all calories are not equal, and Gary Taubes has done a bunch of writing around that, in the end, calories are the, the, the best predictor of weight loss. And so you have to achieve a caloric deficit. You basically need to eat less calories in order to lose weight. One way of doing that is to do intermittent fasting. or Because any time-restricted eating window, in which you say you're doing, what are you doing, 16-8? Twenty-four, right? So you're you're eating within a four-hour window. You're fasting for twenty. By virtue of doing that, you're probably eating less calories, right? Because it just prevents excess snacking or, or getting an extra two hundred to three hundred calories that a lot of people just sneak in because of you know they eat a cheese stick or something and boom, uh, <laughs> do that every single day and you're gonna gain gain a pound a, you know a month uh, or a pound a year as as most people do as when they're adults. So. Um, that's the reason it mostly works. Now there is some other benefits in terms of like, uh, improving your insulin resistance, uh, and you know, the mitochondrial benefits as well. So Dave actually believes that the main benefit of intermittent fasting is actually for the energy that one of the previous callers was actually talking about. Um, it can help for weight, but I always tell people if the goal of your intermittent fasting is to, to lose weight. There, the research clearly shows that nutritional quality is more important than nutritional timing, right? So what you eat is far more important than when you eat it. So even if you're eating within a four-hour window, you should really be pay att paying attention to what you're eating because whether you eat that within four hours or you eat that within 12 hours, the quality of the food by far is going to be much better predictor of the amount of calories that you're consuming and obviously your overall health. So I'm not anti-intermittent fasting. I think it can be a helpful aid, just like keto. Keto is another way, and this is a research shows, it's the best diet, in fact, for weight loss, um, the best diet for people with diabetes. But why does it work? Part of the reason it works, in addition to the unique benefits in terms of reducing carbohydrates and improving insulin resistance, just like intermittent fasting, is people naturally eat less on keto, just like people naturally eat less on intermittent fasting. So what I would say is if you're stalling on your inter intermittent fasting, you don't necessarily need to crank it up and say, okay, 16, eight's not working. Let's do 24. If that's not working, let me do a whole day fast or a whole weekend fast. Sometimes I think people get a little extreme with the fasting and they just think, oh, it's not working. I need to do more and more extreme, longer extended fast. I don't recommend that necessarily because the thing that you have to remember about fasting is if you're doing intermittent fasting within, within a 24 hour period, it's generally fine. The, the, the moment you start doing 24 hours or beyond fasting, you're doing these multi-day fasts, um, you're not getting enough protein and you're losing muscle mass. And so I, I don't think it's a great idea if you're trying to maintain your muscle mass because you are trying to lose weight, but you're, you're trying to lose body fat. You're not trying to lose muscle here, right? So I would just say keep your fast within at least the daily uh, time period. Don't, don't go crazy with doing these extended fasts unless you're trying to do it for some other sort of a purpose, which is not as pertinent here since we're talking about weight loss. But I would really hone in on what you're eating and the nutritional quality because that's probably going to help you break through your plateau and get you to your ultimate weight loss goal. Okay. And my second question, um, should I be, I mean, you're familiar with gastroflux, right? Uh, yeah, like the reflux that you're, that you're getting from. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, 
if I have that, is would okay. Uh, would my regime would ag- aggravate more for the gastroflux? If you do if it what? Does, then yeah, I mean, if I continue IF, um, does does that aggravate my gastroflux? Because I know once in a while I'll get it early in the morning, or you know, whenever I wake up in the morning. So yeah, I, I'm uh, not familiar with any research on intermittent fasting and reflux. I'm sure it exists. I'm just not as familiar with it. But um, uh, some, I, you know, it, it may be plausible the fact that if the fasting actually may improve uh, symptoms of reflux or GERD or acid reflux because you're just eating less all the time and, um, uh, you know, it changes your ghrelin or your hunger hormone. But my, I guess my question to you is what's your experience, right? Everyone differs. So have, have you found any, like when you fast versus that you don't fast, that there's a difference in your reflux? Um, um, yes, if I eat late night, uh, that's you're asking, uh, but ever since I'm going through IF, uh, normally I have it early in the morning, yeah, occasionally. Mm. So here's, here's what I would say, yeah. do, do what works, right? I know it's like a little bit of common sense, but that's the funny thing about the human body. Some people do intermittent fasting, their reflux gets better. Some people do intermittent fasting and they develop reflux, right? Um, and, and that's the wonders of the human body. Maybe there's some microbiome stuff that's going on, we don't really know. But that's why I'm like, listen to your body, see what it happens. If you find that, for instance, late night eating exacerbates your reflux, um, and uh, obviously just cutting that out or doing intermittent fasting improves it, then great, you know, you're, you're doing basically a trial and error science and you're figuring out what works for you. The, the thing that I would caution is if you find that the fasting exacerbates or worsens your reflux, um, you may want to cut it out because, like I said, you don't need to fast to lose weight. Lots of people uh, lose weight without fasting. It's not necessary given, like I said, nutritional quality is more important than nutritional timing. So don't, don't force your body to do something that it's rejecting or obviously it's causing pain. That's You got to kind of listen to your body sometimes when if it's causing problems. It doesn't sound like that's the case. I would just say be mindful of it in that you don't want to obviously have a lot of reflux. It causes esophageal damage long-term um, if you know, you're know you constantly having severe reflux because obviously the acid builds up and it kind of wears down your, your esophagus. So you want to make sure that you're obviously not harming yourself by doing, whether it's fasting or any other sort of health behavior. Okay, sure. Appreciate it. Yep, crystal on Thanks, Dr. Kem. Ikram, do you have a question? Yeah, uh, I, uh, it was a very enlightening uh, lecture. Just for, it was so simple that we didn't uh, actually vitamin D concept. Uh, the sunlight is there, but we don't uh, actually stress. So my quite, uh, basic uh, simple question was, like, what is the uh, quality of the sunlight? Like, is there any particular timings or uh, it's like, uh, how do you say, with respect to morning or afternoon, how do you like... Uh, yeah, have a see on that. So the question was, I think, the quality of the sunlight. So um, the amount of UVA and UVB rays dramatically differ depending on the time of day. That's why I actually recommend to simplify the process. Um, use the D-Minder app because it'll tell you based on not only the time of day, but where you are, how much um, of these rays that you're getting. So you can calculate both how much vitamin D that you're getting but how much um, you know excess sun exposure are you getting that's going to cause a burn, right? The app will actually tell you, hey, like stop, get out of the sun because you're probably overdoing it and you're going to get burned. So um, I think it's helpful to use that as a rule of thumb. If you don't have the app, it, um, like I said, midday sun is more uh, concentrated or focused, right? So if you're talking about around solar noon, although it depends on what the time of the year is, but let's say roughly between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m., uh, around these days is kind of like the peak uh, strength of the sun. So you can spend, uh, you know, if you want to quickly get as much vitamin D and kind of get a lot of bang for your buck, spending like 15 to 30 minutes, like I said, as long as you have enough melanin and you're not burning um, and you have enough of a base coat tan, um, will allow you to get a lot of vitamin D in a short period of time, which is helpful if you're busy, if you're working, etc. cetera. Um, but you got to make sure that you don't overdo it. Um, obviously, the other way of doing it is, you know, ancestrally, a lot of tribes do not spend time in, in 
the sun during the middle of the day. They particularly go to the shade or they take a nap during those peak sort of sunlight hours. And the reason for that is they're the opposite of us. They're not spending time indoors or in an office all day. They're outside all day. They're getting enough vitamin D. So they're getting most of their vitamin D in the morning or the late afternoon and evenings because they're out all the time and they're getting six, eight, 10 hours of sun exposure. They don't need that blast of 30 minutes that we do. So ironically, their strategy is almost the opposite is avoid the midday, try to get it the rest of the day, but it's more spread out. You need to be in the sun for hours. But most of us, because we live indoors or work in office settings, we don't have hours to spend outside. So if you don't, then getting that concentrated blast in the middle of the day can be a more time effective way of doing it. Think about it just like it's analogous to exercise. Most people back in the day, they didn't go to a gym. Nobody ran before the book Jogging was published in 1960 unless they were an athlete. Uh, most people just did physical labor. You were a farmer. You just worked out all day. You walked all day. There's, there's no need for exercise. But now because we sit all day, we're like, okay, let's go to a gym. Let's do 30 to 60 minutes of concentrated exercise. Uh, and that's the alternative to obviously the fact that we don't live in the same way that our grandparents did. So um, it can be effective, but it's just a different time, time effective strategy. Yeah, I want to ask, sorry, I got a phone call. Yeah, I, I want to ask a question. I'm sorry about that. I, uh, first of all, I, I tried the product Actualize, and I, uh, it's delicious. I love the vanilla. My friend liked the, uh, uh, the chocolate, and it's really easy to mix. Awesome. Um, uh, so that's an awesome product. So Thank you. I have a couple of questions. So weight loss. Uh, some vitamins, they say, help with weight loss. Is that true, like coenzyme Q? Yeah, great question. So uh, let, let me address these point by point. Um, Folks who are not familiar with what uh, Alan is saying, um, I, I actually started a company called Actualize. You can check it out at goactualize.com. And the reason I started it is for people who are trying to do keto or low carb diets and try in which you're trying to avoid sugar or excess carbohydrates. There's nothing on the market that was like an all-in-one complete meal replacement. And I was having all these patients or people in the programs that I was doing looking for a solution. And so I, I kind of made my own. Um, uh, you can actually use the code Maximus Meal uh, for like 10 to 20% off, I believe. I think it's like 10% off. Uh, so check that out if you're interested in the product. Um, and thank you for the shout out. I'm glad you like the vanilla flavor. I think we have vanilla and chocolate um, out there. The, by the way, the, 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 the use case for this, for people who are asking like, why the hell would I use a meal replacement? I always tell people, look, eat whole food. If you can eat natural, unprocessed food, it's the best possible thing. But given that two thirds of most people's diets is processed food because people just don't have the time or the energy to cook anymore. It's a great hack to make sure that you're not eating junk, right? Because this is, this is processed, but it's processed for health, not for cost or calories or taste. And so a lot of people just don't have time to eat breakfast these days. It's, it's just more convenient to have a shake or same thing. You're in the office. You're obviously don't, not going to cook in the office. You just need a late afternoon snack so that you're not starving by the time it gets to dinner time. Having a meal replacement is a very effective strategy. And in fact, the look ahead trial, which was a very famous clinical trial that was with type two diabetes patients found that using meal replacements, I believe they use a lot of them, two meals and two snack replacements a day. Those folks lost almost 10% of their body weight and significantly uh, improved their type two diabetes. It was much more, more effective than other weight loss programs. Weight loss programs that use meal replacements work better, often twice as good in terms of the results as ones that don't. And the reason is you got to make it simple for people to do the right thing. As a behaviorist, I always say it's easier to get, it's easier to get people to do the right thing by making it easier than it is to try to motivate or cheerlead them to do it. So I'm glad that you're finding benefit from Actualize and other people who are interested, check it out. It's goactualize.com. Use the code Maximus Meal for a discount. Now your question is around the use of coenzyme Q10. Um, I'm not sure about the literature on coenzyme Q10 and weight loss. I, I'm very skeptical, in fact, of any sort of vitamin or supplement uh, and weight loss in particular. Um, honestly, there's such an obesity epidemic. If there was a magic pill or a quick fix to do it, uh, people would, would all be taking it. The, the main benefit that I'm aware of for coenzyme Q10 is energy. Um, and, and the other reason is if you're taking prescription statins to improve your lipids, it depletes coenzyme Q10. And so most physicians will actually recommend a coenzyme Q10 supplement to prevent that depletion from happening. If you don't take statins, the reason that you would take a coenzyme Q10 supplement is really for energy. It gives you a little bit of that energy boost. We talked about B vitamins earlier in this show. 
Um, coenzyme Q10 is kind of mitochondrial support. The thing that I re generally recommend though is coenzyme Q10 is generally not very absorbable. It's not very bioavailable. So you want to take a bioavailable form. The best one is one called ubiquinol. Ubiquinol is the, the form that's more readily um, uh, metabolized. It's the natural form that your body sort of uses. Um, it's a little bit more expensive, but look, you want to take something that works. So take ubiquinol. Generally recommended dosages are 100 to 200 milligrams a day. Consult with your physician. There, there are some other forms that are like cyclodextrin forms um, that are bonded with a cyclodextrin, to, uh, which is just a fancy kind of um, molecule that helps absorption. Um, those are helpful as well, but ubiquinol is the form that I generally recommend. And, and, and thank you for that. And the other question is, I don't know if you would know that, the fat about infrared versus sauna or infrared or sauna, is that all baloney or is that really good for, for you? For, uh, what, for what purpose? Uh, for overall longevity, because they talked about uh, like resveratrol, but they also talked about infrared, infrared, using infrared light or sauna treatments to increase your longevity. And then at the same token, other people said cold showers. Or is that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I gotta say, I'm I'm really skeptical of the entire longevity field. The problem is you can't prove. How do you know it works? How do you know you're actually living longer? Right? There's there's no way to like tell uh, you've lived longer uh, by doing it or not. So there's a lot of, you know, this starts to get into like the biohacking stuff. Um, you know, we, we actually have Upgrade Labs, which is uh, here in Santa Monica that has a lot of this stuff. Look, some of it may have some science, uh, you know, but I, I generally, I have a different philosophy. Let's just put it that way. In that I think the purpose um, of life is quality of life, not quantity of life. And I, I, and I, I, I share that because I've worked with like patients in like nursing homes, people with dementia and Alzheimer's. And I'm like, there's no point of living a long time if you if you uh, have shitty quality of life. So I don't really care about extending your quality your quantity of life. Um, and it, do some of those treatments potentially work? I think the research, um, like I said, I'm not I haven't looked at it closely, uh, but I, it's very hard to prove. And so if you if there isn't a lot of like evidence that can definitively prove that because it's hard to do like randomized control trials and, and you have to wait till people die essentially to see if it improves mortality. Um, a lot of it's very theoretical or mechanistic, right? And so I don't find it convincing and I, I wouldn't do it for that purpose, I would say. Um, so yeah, the infrared, sauna, th there's some other benefits to sauna and jacuzzi. Um, but, uh, you know, I, in terms of like extending your quality of life, I think there are lower hanging fruit is the way that I put it before you get into extreme biohacking. I think like unless you're, you're sleeping seven to nine hours a night, um, eating a relatively unprocessed diet, um, you know, minimizing your media exposure to like less than an hour a day, uh, making sure you have an hour of like intimate time, whether emotional or physical with your partner. Those are the things that I know increase both quality and quantity of life. Uh, so I'd focus your efforts there rather than doing too much of the, the, the crazy biohacking stuff. If you, if you, if you like doing it and you do, and it, and you, you, you just enjoy the experience of a sauna or jacuzzi, I would say have at it. Um, but I, you don't, you don't need to use like a juve or a red light infrared on your balls and thinking it's going to improve your testosterone, your longevity probably doesn't. Um, so yeah, what, what we do is, uh, it's, is a totally different approach. Uh, so for folks who are interested, you can check out our website. It's maximustribe.com. Um, and we use pharmaceutical agents like enclomiphene, which actually stimulate your own natural production of testosterone simulates your testes to produce luteinizing hormone and thus testosterone. And so it's, it's naturally regulated in the sense that unlike testosterone re replacement therapy, which suppresses your own levels and you can't, uh, you know, take huge, like super physiological doses of it. You can only produce as much as your body's like can naturally sort of produce. And so generally we, f we find that it puts people into high sort of normal levels, um, which is essentially the levels that your father and your grandfather had. Uh, back in the day when they, when they weren't bombarded with endocrine disrupting chemicals from all the ultra processed food and, and polluted plastics that we uh, consume. So I think that's the real question is, is we're not talking about, oh, is test like high levels of testosterone bad. Uh, I think essentially all men these days have artificially suppressed testosterone, right? It's about 50 to 65% less than it was 50 years ago. And so really, to me, testosterone optimization is, is really testosterone restoration, meaning we're restoring levels back to where they should have been uh, before we essentially chemically polluted ourselves. 
And so I, I think there's very little like um, sort of rational justification to argue that restoring levels back to normal is harmful. I would actually argue the opposite. Walking around with sort of low or artificially suppressed levels is much more likely just rationally and logically to be suboptimal and harmful rather than someone having their levels be essentially what was epidemiologically normal uh, 50 years ago or as, or as normal amongst, let's say, healthy, young, non-obese men. So um, I, I think there's, um, uh, yeah, uh, people are unnecessarily afraid about testosterone because they confuse you know, that with uh, steroids and other things. But if you're talking about natural testosterone production, I think the, at least my reading of the research literature is that it's clearly beneficial to have normal uh, sort of levels of testosterone. So if you're interested in that, check it out. It's MaximusTribe.com. Um, and we're going to end the radio show for today. It's uh, We're actually five minutes over. But you can catch us next time every Thursday between 6 and 7 p.m. Thank you, everyone. Hope you learned a lot about uh, testosterone, uh, sunlight, sunscreen, vitamins, extraordinaire, uh, and, and all other uh, you know, uh, methods, whether uh, you know, pharmaceutical, psychological, or behavioral to optimize your health and hormones. Be well, be healthy, and have a great rest of your Thursday. Thank you.